For this episode of Coffee with Closers, I'm sitting down with Nick Mehta, the CEO of Gainsight, the customer success company. He works with a team of over 1,000 human beings who together have helped create the customer success category that's currently taking over the SaaS business model worldwide. Stay tuned for my conversation with Nick, where he shares practical advice on leveraging customer retention as a growth strategy for both SaaS and service companies. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Nick, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Thank you so much, much, Samuel. It's great to be here. Awesome. You know, I had multiple people tell me I should have Nick join uh, Godard Abel from G2, uh, 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 Tim Kopp from uh, Terminus, uh, all those guys that, hey, if I ask all the time at the end of the episode, who, who should who should I have next? And they say, well, you should talk to Tim. Uh, you should talk to Nick. So I'm super excited to be looking forward to it. You're a busy guy. It took a little Thanks, while man. for us to schedule this. So every entrepreneur has an interesting story of how they, how they overcame obstacles to become an entrepreneur. I'm sure you have some interesting story of how that may have happened for you. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey? Totally. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, a long journey because I've been working for a couple decades now. So I'll try to give you the cliff notes version. I, um, part of, part of the obstacle was as, as with a lot of kids trying to, um, you know, live up to my parents' expectations. So that was part of it as a little kid. My, my mom wanted me to be a doctor and my dad wanted me to go into business. So I had to make one of them happy and not the other. And as you saw when you did your prep, Samuel, I studied biochemistry in college, probably just to make my mom happy thinking I'd be a doctor. And, but I always loved computers and business and stuff, which is kind of what my dad work, did. And so I ended up getting into the, the business world. Um, and, you know, I was kind of programming when I was a little kid and, you know, grew up around computers. So it was sort of one of those things you probably, in hindsight, was obvious I'd end up in it. And I started a company in college, actually, with some classmates. This is back during the dot-com era. So for many of you listening, that's ancient history, but, um, but late 1990s. And we started a company, which ended up becoming a pretty hot company, but then ended up not making it and we we'd sold it, but it was sort of an up and down story. And so I had a lot of experience of just both the positives and the heartbreak of business uh, before I was 22. So a lot, pretty interesting getting all that early on. And then I worked at a bigger company for a while, was a product manager, then was a general manager. And then I ran, then I ran a company uh, before Gainsight, which actually taught me on the job, the need of customer success because it was my first SaaS company. And it was the first time I had a situation where the customers had all the power where if they weren't getting value, they just wouldn't renew, right? And before that, I don't, I'd worked in businesses where you sell a customer and you move on to the next customer. But when I saw this model and I saw, oh my gosh, everything changes when your customers have power, I thought this customer success thing could be pretty big. Now that was 2013. And back then it wasn't big. Back then in the whole world, there was like a thousand people in CSM in the job of customer success. And today there's about 300,000. But one of the biggest challenges we had was we had to kind of create our own market. We had like people talk about creating a category. We had to create the category of people in this job, which we can talk a lot more about. But yeah, in terms of setbacks, I think generally I've been very blessed and privileged and lucky. But um, one of them has been, okay, what does it mean when you have to create your own market? Yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at your res- you know, your LinkedIn profile. I did see biochemistry and then computer science and then ended up uh, being a marketing intern at IBM. And then you also went on to Goldman Sachs uh, doing some internship there in, in, in marketing as well. So I saw your, your journey has been uh, very unique. And then obviously, you, you, I was looking at some of your prior venture. You actually co-founded one or two companies. I saw ChipShot and LiveOffice. ChipShot, yeah. That was, that was the one in college. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So 
I see. Okay. And so, and then you went on to being a product, you know, a product, product manager. Product manager. Yeah. And then the, yeah, that was kind of the, that was my first real job. Cause I had done my own startup and I was like, that startup didn't end up working out. So I had to get a regular job. And, and I was like, well, I like computer science, but I'm not really that good of an engineer. So what do you do if you like computers, but you're not that good of an engineer, be a product manager. So that's how I got into product management. Yeah. And then the idea for, so you said once you started seeing companies that were doing a recurring or subscription-based product, that's when you actually start to see a need for how do you really uh, leverage customer success as a means to retain and grow those accounts? Is that kind of what yeah, the I idea? Yeah. Be a little more, I'll be a little more precise. So what happened was that at uh, the big company I worked at was Symantec, but, you know, it's a large software company, great company. And we, I was a product manager and eventually I was a general manager. So I ran a division in Symantec and all the software we sold was the traditional kind of what people call on-premise software, meaning they buy the software, they pay for it up front, they install it on their servers and whether they use it or not is up to them, but they basically have paid for it already. Kind of like when you buy a car, you know, you pay for the car. If you never drive it, you still paid for the car. And um, I then got hired by a SaaS company called Live Office where I was a CEO. I didn't found the company. I got hired to run it. And I came in and basically this company was a cloud-based business, a SaaS business, right? And it was basically doing something similar to what my product did at Symantec. But instead of it being installed on people's servers, it was all run in the cloud. And what I learned with that change in kind of delivery model and pricing model, I learned that the customer now has all the power because running this company live office every quarter, it wasn't just about how many new customers I could get or how much we could sell. It was about keeping those existing customers and growing them and making them happy. And as a CEO, I spent a lot of my time, not just on getting new customers, but on our existing clients. And so th through that process, I learned, gosh, this like customer success thing is pretty important. I didn't actually even know what it was before, right? And I learned it on the job. I also saw that we didn't have any systems to manage it. So we had systems to manage sales and marketing and other areas, but nothing for our customers. And so anyway, those two insights together, we basically, um, in 2013, I was spending some time with some venture capital firms. And one of them actually introduced me to these two folks who basically had the same kind of idea and, and passion that we all partnered up together and launched Gainsight in 2013. Yeah, and I think I'm just curious also just that transition. When did it happen? Guys, my understanding of SaaS was, like, was it Adobe the first to introduce the whole concept of SaaS or subscription model was, or was it Salesforce? No, 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 no. I, I mean, it's probably, probably, I'm sure somebody had it before, but the one that I think everyone would say popularized it is Salesforce, right? And, and, and they launched obviously in 1999 and so long time ago. And Salesforce, even they didn't know about customer success till they had to go do it. So what, we, what, we've written three books on customer success. And in the first book, we tell the story about this offsite in Salesforce. And I think it's like 2002 or something. And they started having churn because people were buying the Salesforce subscription and some of them just never set it up or never used it and they would churn. And then Salesforce said, what are we going to do about this? Right. Cause all of them had come, all the people at Salesforce had come from on-premise software companies too. They'd never dealt with this before. And so Mark Benioff in his incredible brilliance basically said, Hey, we need a new role called a customer success manager. Um, and that role, he, he's the one who gets credit for it. He, he came up with this, he and his team, came up with this idea. They built the first CSM team. And then the early SaaS companies all followed suit. You know, Workday, Box, DocuSign. And when Gainsight launched in 2013, we saw these CSMs in, in a few companies. And we said, eventually, this is going to be everyone. And that's how we kind of decided to take it mainstream. 
But Salesforce is the one that really kind of got this thing started. So interesting question about Salesforce, because I know Salesforce actually charges extra for customer service on top of your subscription to the product. So, I mean, why would they even charge extra if their ultimate goal is to retain and grow those accounts? Why are they yeah, separating separating service, yeah. you know, customer service? Yeah. So they definitely, they actually do both. So actually it's interesting. Just today I was doing an interview with the head of customer success at Salesforce and we were talking about learnings and all that. They do both. So in the early days, they actually did all customer success just for free built into the product. They, they actually made that at the very beginning, right? And then what like they like a lot of companies had to figure out how to scale and they had just so much, you know, growing customers and, you know, how do we fund all this customer success? So they basically bifurcated it. So there's amount of customer success you get that's kind of built into the Salesforce subscription. That's um that's things like some of their automated co communications, their user groups, their training. And then there's a part of it that you can you can pay for. Now, the reality is uh, even there, one of the things they've been trying to do is get smarter about aligning what you're paying for with real business value. So one thing they've done is like really aligned customer success by industry so that like there's a different kind of mode for let's say life sciences versus financial services. So they themselves evolved a lot. A lot of companies over time end up with some stuff that's built in and some stuff that you pay extra for. Yeah. Cause one of the biggest, you know, negative I've heard about Salesforce is the service side of it, like the customer service side of it. The fact that, that you have to pay extra for it. And that's always been kind of a negative. And when you look at HubSpot, they provide support even on Sunday evening, you could call with a question and there's a live person in the U S answer your question. And that, that seems to be like kind of the driver for HubSpot success um, because yeah. they yeah. do too. Well, and I think, I think in general, whether Salesforce or HubSpot or anyone else, I think everyone is trying to say, how do we invest more in the customer experience to make sure our customers get more value every day? So that's definitely a universal theme. Yeah. And I know you guys are getting into the product experience category as well, right? Right. Expa expanding in there. So I know you mentioned that's Nick. And that's, and that's a part of the reason, just for folks listening, the reason that that matters is, you know, you, you can only do so much with people right? You have your customer success managers, you've got your customer support team, you're doing a great job with your customers. But what really drives success for your customers is the product. And so our product experience technology is a small amount of code you can drop into your app with almost no extra effort. And then now you can kind of in the app guide a customer through little pop-up messages to try out a new feature or to onboard better or to, to you know keep using the product. And so this is a big trend we're seeing, which is customer success isn't just about a team. It's about building customer success into your whole company. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if the customers aren't adapting and staying with the product, uh, you're just churning and keep going back to you know, you know, trying to keep, keep winning more logos every month. That's right. And you can't fill you can't if you have a bucket and you have a, a hole in the bottom of the bucket, pouring more water and doesn't really help. So yeah, we we talk a lot in our company. We talk acquisition plus retention equals growth. You kind of have to do yeah. both. Yeah, exactly. Very efficient. That's right. So obviously, you know, you successfully created a category. I mean, that's like a dream in the SaaS world is creating a category. You've done that uh, in the customer success sector. And you talk a lot about, you know, net, re net revenue retention. You've written three books about customer success. So you've learned a lot. I and mean, primarily you serve this SaaS market. And that's where, you know, the technology enabled the retention, right? Able to, able to identify accounts that are probably at risk and trying to find the opportunities that you can expand. There's a lot of that you can do with a SaaS. But what are some transferable uh, knowledge from the SaaS industry that uh, service companies can adapt in terms of retention and growth of existing accounts? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually, it's interesting enough, 50% of our revenue comes from companies that are not uh, mainly SaaS businesses. So we actually see a lot of interest in this model in other industries because the model of customer success, if you really just boil it down and simplify it, is, okay, 
I need to proactively make sure my customer is getting value. I can't make it on them. I've got to make it my job because if they're not getting value, they're not going to stay with me. They're not going to buy more stuff. They're not going to be an advocate. I've got to own that responsibility. Now, as we talked about in the prep, Samuel, one of the differences is unfortunately the uh, companies outside of SaaS don't always have that data about how people are using your product. Because in SaaS, because it's in the cloud, you can kind of see, okay, what are they clicking? But you have lots of other data, right? You have data, for example, about how engaged they are with you, how often they're meeting with you. Are they active in your online community? Are they coming to your events? Are they opening your emails, right? You have all this other digital data that every business now has that you could be using to understand how healthy this customer is. Because that's a core concept is this idea of customer health, right? You know, you think about in sales, you have your pipeline and you have your opportunities and then you close deals and your pipeline is a leading indicator of your opportunities and your deals. The same way you can think of your customer health as a leading indicator of your likelihood to renew and expand that customer. And so what should go into customer health? You know, are they engaging with me? Did the person we sell to leave the company? You can look at link, looking at LinkedIn and things like that, right? Um, are they having a lot of issues? Like, are they calling them with a lot of problems? Um, you probably send them surveys. What kind of feedback are they giving? Did they never even fill out the survey? So you could be smartly looking at all this data, kind of like a breadcrumb trail for the customer to build a picture of, you know, how successful, how satisfied is this customer? Mm -hmm. And so how large of a customer base do you have to have before an investment into a platform like Gainsight is almost a, a necessity? It, it t tends to be like a, the, the simple heuristic would be when you get to the point where you can't remember all your customers, like their names, then you're probably, you know, looking at software. So that means, you know, hundreds of customers typically, right? You know, if you've got 20 customers, usually you can kind of, you know, do most of it yourself. Um, but the truth is, even if you have 20 customers, there are other parts of your, our product line that might be relevant, like this product experience area, where even though you only have 20 customers, you want all of them to use your product well, right? We also have an online community that connects your customers with each other so they can learn from each other. But for the core customer success concept, I think once you get into the hundreds of customers, that's when the scale and really literally just remembering it all becomes really challenging. Hmm. So as from a business leadership standpoint, right, what, what is kind of like the resource allocation um, you know, recommendations that you have? Is it like 80, 20, 80% into the acquisition side of the business and 20% into retention or is it 50, 50? What is the kind of the happy medium? It, it really it depends on where you're on the life cycle of, a cost of your business, right? So, um, you know, companies that are in a net new gigantic market are going to focus mostly on acquisition. That's totally understandable mathematically, right? Because you're trying to get that land grab, right? Get all those customers so that they stay with you. Companies that are in a, a more focused market, right? Let's say you're a vertical company. You're selling into one industry or one region. You know, there you better get it right because one of the challenges you have is if those customers aren't successful, there's not a lot of other ones to sell to. You can kind of burn through your whole market. I'm sure if you're listening, you can think of companies that you've dealt with that are like that, where they like sold to everyone and nobody likes them and there's nobody else to sell to. So they're kind of in trouble. So if your market is a little more focused, even in the early days, you've got to be really focused on customer success. But either way, whether your market is big or it's more vertical, once you get to a certain size where a lot of your revenue is coming from existing customers, you've got to get great at all this stuff, right? That's really where the, the shift happens. Most people have that moment where they're like, oh my gosh, this quarter, more of our revenue is coming from existing clients than new ones. We've got to do something different. Whenever that moment is, that's when you got to do things differently. Yeah, and I know, you know, kind of the rule of thumb is, I think it's like about almost seven to eight times more expensive to acquire a new customer than to retain. Has there been Correct. any studies done by Gainside that, validates that point or even oh, is, yeah, is that totally. I mean, that's pretty it's pretty pretty simple because you know you look at 
what companies spend anywhere from 10 to 20 cents on the dollar or less to keep and grow an existing customer. And they spend anywhere from like 50 cents to like $2 on the dollar to get a new one, right? So just do the math on that. You'll see it's a massive difference in basically cost. Um, now, obviously those, I don't want to write off those new customers are important because those are the ones down the road that will grow and you got to keep bringing new ones in too. That's very important. But the thing is that like at, at the end of the day, sometimes you get to a point where you're like, gosh, we've got to grow our existing customers. We've got to keep them. And, and, and like I said, the, the issue is if you don't take care of those customers, you won't get new ones either. Because eventually those customers that are unhappy, not getting value, word's going to get out and you're not going to get any new ones. So, you know, the, the party stops pretty quickly if you don't focus on your customers. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, I think the, the lifetime value increases as they stick with you longer. So you can continue to serve them even better, right? You can improve That's your right. product. You can do a lot more because if you're, you're, if they're sticking around not long enough, your cost of acquisition is extremely high as well, right? That's By having them stick around longer, you're, you're lowering your overall cost of acquisition and you're increasing your lifetime value as well. Exactly. And since you, you know, you're very versed in acquisition, you think about like, why would acquisition costs be higher versus lower? One of the reasons is people are a little more uncertain about buying. They're like, oh, I don't know. Should we really buy this or not? You know what makes people more confident about buying? Hearing good things from other customers. So the more successful customers you have, the more advocacy you have, the more people are telling their friends, oh, you got to buy this product, the easier it is to sell, the lower your acquisition cost. So it's very much like a virtuous cycle. Awesome to hear that. So obviously you had some start, you know, your career started in marketing and you went on to product, you became a CEO, then you started your own company, you, you were building a category in the customer, uh, you know, customer success, right? You've had a lot of experience in the entire customer life cycle. You know, how has your approach in sales and marketing evolved over the years, uh, having exposed all these different areas of the business? I think one of the biggest changes is understanding how it all fits together. So it's not, you know, I think the old world was like, okay, marketing, you generate leads and sales, you close deals and, you know, services, you implement customers and so on, right? Now it's like, no, gosh, everything affects everything else. You know, how well you sell a customer and how well you do a good job of setting their expectations and doing discovery affects how well they're going to do post-sale. You know, how well you service them affects how much they're going to be an advocate. When you market, you're not just marketing to new customers, you're marketing existing ones too. So these things are not, you'd love to separate them out and make it, okay, you own this, you own this. The biggest learning is it all fits together and you have to think of it as one continuous thing versus a totally separate set of silos. Yeah, which is, you know, creating new or, you know, organizational functions like revenue operations being one yes, of them. Yes, revenue is so important. RevOps mm -hmm. is so important because of that, right? Exactly. Yeah, because I think, you know, like five, seven years ago, people were talking about sales and marketing alignment only. Now you're talking about the entire organization alignment because... Totally. Yeah. That, that, that yeah, that's whole, an interesting trend because RevOps, revenue operations or go-to-market operations, what do you call it, is bringing together marketing, sales, and customer success into sort of one integrated view. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a CEO of a, a large public company, and he was just saying how he he thinks of this as like one system that brings all these, it, I don't, he, he's not saying software system, like one conceptual system, all the way from marketing to sales to your, your customers. It's all about taking people from that lead all the way to being a successful customer. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Nick, you successfully grew this company from zero to $100 million uh, in ARR and, and was a valuation of 1.2 billion, I think, just a reason valuation, right? A year, a year and a half ago, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's definitely has grown up. So basically, like, what, has some, what are some, some practical things you've done so well that actually took the company, you know, grow at, at such fast pace? 
I think I've done lots of things not well, maybe a couple well. So I, it's hard to even remember the ones that I've done well. But um, I think one thing that, you know, has worked really, really well for us is taking um, really, really thinking about the human beings that are customers, right? So we talk about customer success. Part of it is your customer's company is successful, right? They're generating more revenue, being more productive. But part of it is your customer's human beings are successful. They're getting promoted. They're feeling good about their job. So we spent a lot of time on the human aspect of our customers. I've actually helped thousands and thousands of CS leaders find jobs and get connected to each other or help CEOs find CS leaders or helping give advice on compensation or org structures, really thinking about the human being your customer. I think that's a superpower and I think it applies to almost every business. So that's one that I think has been a big one for us and we built built in. Another one, I know we'll talk about culture in a little bit, but building our culture into our community. Mm-hmm. So our customers all know about our company values and our ethos and we're very silly and we bring that to our customers as well. So they know that. Mm-hmm. So that's something that, that I think has been, you know, bring your culture to community, something that's really resonated with us. Now on the internal side, just some practical stuff for us. One thing that's been really effective is creating a really organized rhythm for running the company. Mm-hmm. So this is something as you get bigger, of just like, okay, what are you doing every day? What are you doing every week? What are you doing every month, every quarter and every year, right? And so we have every, we have it all very well documented about how our annual planning processes work, how we set goals every quarter, how we do you know, weekly executive meetings and how we do an update to the company. And I send an email to the company. Actually, I've done this every day since 2006. Every Sunday night, to whatever team I'm running, I send an email to the whole company about what's happening in the company right now, what's happening in my personal life. That's another thing we try to do is be very open so transparency. So I talk about what's happening in my personal life. Fun, fun anecdote. I, sh- you know, yesterday was my wife's birthday, and actually, um, I don't know if you know this term. If you know what the term Rick Roll, do you know what Rick Roll is? Rick Roll's um, Rick, uh, Rick, Rick Astley was the the song that you probably heard of. Never gonna give you up, and it's a it's a fun internet thing where you get somebody to play that song. And actually, I had a um, for my wife's birthday yesterday. I had a, a like one of those uh, kind of hired performers come and like surprise her on the street and like sing that song to her. And then I made a video of it. I shared it with all our employees. And the reason I tell you that story is I think that idea of transparency, like the CEO is a human being too and has a wife and or partner, husband, spouse, you know, partner, whatever, and is a human being too. And really trying to be transparent about what we all are. We wrap all of that up against what we call human first business. The idea that let's not forget whether you think of your employee or your customer or your competitor, they're all human beings first. Yeah, and I saw in your in your bio you actually said I I, I with an uh, one thousand human beings, and I was kind of wondering. Yes, exactly right. Intentionally right. put that's that in there. That. Yeah, that's why I say that exactly right. Good, good call. So basically, you know, to, let's talk about that a little bit more because I know you know on Glassdoor you have about ninety nine percent approval rating as a CEO, uh, and you've you know like you've employees have stuck around with you for a very long time. So what are some things that you've done as the leader to make sure that the company culture was solid? And, and was that something that you've got from prior experience, worked at other bigger organizations or how, how did that yeah, come about? So much. This is definitely the thing I'm most passionate about. And I think part of it was early on defining values. So we defined our values in the very, very beginning of the company. And those values, there's five values at Gainsight. Uh, some examples, golden rule, which means treat people the way you want to be treated. Childlike joy, which means bring the kid new to work every day. Shoshin, which is a Japanese word for beginner's mind. Stay thirsty, my friends, which is all about ambition and success for all, which means we only win if all of our stakeholders win. Mm-hmm. And so those values have specific examples and precepts and every new hire, I'm doing the training 
for the class on what the values are. And that's all I talk about is our values. Mm. We talk about it in every meeting and every planning process and every all hands for nine and a half years. So the values, like defining them early, making sure there's something you're personally passionate about as a founder or CEO mm -hmm. and making them part of everything you do. Um, that's to me really, really critical. As I mentioned, taking your culture and making it not just your company culture, but tying it to your customers and letting them know what your values are and really like doing a great job of just living externally the same way you live internally. Don't be two different people outside your company and inside your company. Um, we're, we're big believers in vulnerability and transparency. I talked about like talking about my wife's birthday, but also like, you know, the hard stuff of talking about like, I was very lonely as a kid. And I've talked a lot about that to my company and actually even to our customers as well at our conferences. So this idea of like vulnerability, like Brene Brown talks about something we're really, really passionate about. But then I think that if I kind of, those are all kind of more broad things. I think there's an opportunity to just build lots of great moments into the daily life of teammates. Um, those, there's a great book that I'm reading right now called The Power of Moments. It's an awesome book. Just the idea, idea that like we remember very specific things about our experiences. It's not like you remember the whole experience. You remember the moments. And so as an example, you know, I send every, we have 1,150 people in the company. I send every employee an email on their birthday and their anniversary gain site, like mm. every single employee. Mm. Um, when, when our customers get promoted, I send them a bottle of champagne. Um, and I have like a kind of custom bottle of champagne that we send. When um, I, uh, when, when we, um, you know, when a new employee comes to Gainsight, mm -hmm. our, our teammate success team, teammate success is HR basically. Mm -hmm. They created this hilarious box mm -hmm. that you open it up and for all new employees and all these like paper butterflies like fly out of it mm -hmm. and then people make videos of it and post on, on Twitter and stuff. So the idea, how do you build like moments in mm -hmm. to be memorable, whether it's your customer journey or your employee journey, think about those moments. And by the way, they're not all, all the good moments, the bad ones too. You know, somebody loses his family member and what are you doing right then uh, when they have a baby, you know, we have a Gainsight onesie we send people when they have a baby, right? So those types of kind of moments, I think moments are so important. Yeah, I mean, like going back to your concept of treating them like humans, right? And yeah. I think, uh, and I admire you for actually doing the, you know, the onboarding training and also you said sending birthday wishes as the CEO. Are those automated or are you actually personally getting some sort of a reminder saying, hey, this is this employee. I get a reminder and I send for the birthday and, and you know, anniversary, so it's not automated. Mm -hmm. um, I add in some personalization if I know them. Unfortunately, sadly, when you have 1,200 employees, you really don't know most of them. Yeah, and there sucks. might be multiple birthdays every day because you're talking about- Oh, there's, no, there's literally, there, there's, if you add birthdays and anniversaries, there's like 10 a day. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah, and so, but, but you know, some of them I know and I try to personalize it. Even if I don't know them, I think they appreciate it, right? And so I think it's just those little things. You can automate some of these things, but- I think you'd also like put a little more time into it and, and that makes a difference, right? Yeah. So um, I just think there's so many things we can do in everyone's lives that have a big impact if you just think about those moments. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier about this whole um, like the transparency and also how you have like the organizational planning and all of those things. Are you following some like, sort of a business system like OKRs or like an operating system like OKRs? Yeah, so we actually, I'm glad you mentioned because this is pretty practical. We read a book years ago as a company, six years ago called Scaling Up. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a pretty good book if you're kind of, you know, let's say you're 50 people or 100 people, 200 people, which might be a decent number of the people listening to this. It's a great book for just d defining your whole system. And basically the, the idea of the Scaling Up is you start with by writing out for your, your for your annual strategy, a document. Actually, this is ours. Um, uh, you won't be able to read it because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, this, this, the glare here, but this is what's called a one-page strategic plan. And it's basically what are your goals for the year, what are your values for your company? What's your purpose and mission? All written down in one sheet. And we actually take this, we make it, we laminate it, we send it to all 1,100 people. 
And then in scaling up, then there's a kind of set of you know processes you do every quarter or every week. We don't do all of those anymore. We've kind of evolved a little bit, but conceptually this idea of like, if you can create a rhythm for the company, then everyone knows what to expect. And actually it just, it saves a lot of time long-term versus every quarter scrambling to say, okay, we got to get ready for a board meeting or we got an all hands meeting. We're very, very organized. By the way, a lot of credit goes there to my chief of staff, Robin Merritt, mm-hmm. who basically runs that whole process for us. Mm-hmm. So for organizations that don't have named leader or someone who can own some of those functions, right? You talk about like, so for marketing, you have to have an owner for that. Or in sales, you have to have a leader that runs that or an operation and customer success and product. If you don't have the luxury of all of those things, what are some things, especially in the early days of Gainsight, what were you doing when multiple people having to play multiple, ha- you know, wear multiple hats? Oh yeah, totally. And I, I remember in the early days of Gainsight, I was setting up the Wi-Fi in the office and doing the demos and everything, right? We all had that. I, th- I think you can still... Um, get organized about goal setting, even if you're smaller. Um, it doesn't have to be some formal system, literally just writing them down, putting them in a sheet. And that's very important as a leader. And I think that um, being consistent is something that people put off too long. So consistency about what you do every week, your one-on-ones. I don't think there's an excuse that, oh, we're too small for that. I think those kinds of things actually, it's like, it's a little bit like, hey, you can say when you're, you know, you can always say, I'm going to work out later. I'm going to start eating healthy later. The truth is like, you know, later comes pretty quickly. You got it. You know, the best time to do it is now. That's so true. Obviously, I want to get to know a little bit, a little bit more about you. So you've accomplished a lot, right? We talked about you creating a category. Uh, you took a company from zero to 100 million in ARR. Uh, you actually published three books. Uh, you were named the number two CEO by Software Reports. 99% approval rating on Glassdoor. Spoke at so many conferences. Married and have three kids. Uh, now you're on the Coffee with Closers episode. You've accomplished a lot, right? So of all the things you've accomplished, what's the one thing that you're super proud of? Well, that's a good one. Um, obviously, being on this Coffee with Closers, for sure. <laughs> other than that, um, I'm sure you have uh, some other things you can I, You know, like obviously like family stuff, but I won't, since that's so common to everyone, I won't, I'll, I won't go into that one. I think the one that like work-wise is I'm very proud of that we actually genuinely care about our culture and values. I know a lot of companies don't, uh, or they do it and they say do it because they think they're supposed to do it and they don't really care and people get cynical. I think that human first and our values are, are real. I'm, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. What's your personal why? What motivates you and gives you the drive? Yeah. So my, um, I was talking about my parents before, amazing parents. And there's definitely a, a few different backstories that kind of motivate me. One is kind of like that, you know, my parents are immigrants from India and stereotypical kind of immigrant ambition of like wanting their kid to be hyper successful. So I remember when my dad, when I was eight years old and my dad was in the living room of our house in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he showed me like Time Magazine and had Bill Gates, youngest billionaire in the world, the youngest self-made billionaire. And, and my dad was like, I'd love for you to do something like this someday. I'm like, I'm still working on that. But my, but like that drive and ambition to like, you know, honestly, like be, make your parents proud and stuff like that. That's definitely one big thing that drives me. So that's one narrative. A second narrative is despite the fact that I'm much more extrovert now, I was very shy and lonely as a kid. I just didn't fit in, didn't have any friends, hardly any friends at all. Ate alone at lunch every day in school. And so this idea of like connecting with people and like feeling like, you know, feeling like I fit in and that they, they also fit in too and belonging, that's a second motivator for me. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is kind of maybe connecting these two together I have found then that like, okay, this idea of human first business, it really does resonate. And it's not like we're the only ones that think about this. And there's many people who have different terms for the same thing. 
but it motivates me that there's something here that, you know, people want a little bit more of a human approach to how you can win in, in companies. So those three things together. Mm. What do you do, especially for personal development and as a CEO, continue to excel and grow in your ability to perform at a high, highest level? Uh, a couple of things that are really big. Um, I'm extremely, extremely rigorous in an annoying way on health routines. So I, um, you know, I sleep eight hours a night every night uh, unless I'm traveling and, or, or I can't fall asleep. I you know, do my Peloton bike every day. I, I do lots of other workouts throughout the week. I drink a couple gallons of water a day. Like I have this giant jug of water. I, I take my vitamins. I'm vegan. I walk at least 10,000 steps every day. So I have all these things I do to keep myself healthy, but also just to keep my energy up. I found that that's like so important, right? So that's kind of one theme is that. And then the second one is I love learning. So I read a ton. Mm -hmm. um, I, I read, um, I, I'm one of those people who reads audiobooks on 2X. Mm -hmm. So I listen to the audiobook and I can get through, you do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I listen to a lot of like 50, 60 books a year. Mm -hmm. And so combination of reading paper and, and listening. And so that I, that lets me learn, and then you know, health lets me keep my energy up. Those are probably the two things. I also I also love meeting people and learning from them. You know, even this conversation or many others. And so I love meeting other CEOs and leaders. It doesn't have to be CEOs, anyone. And I, I think I, I take a lot from that too. So those are my, probably my three ways to develop. Do you have some sort of a decision making framework that you follow, especially when you have to take some critical decisions? I wouldn't say I have a decision making framework, but I think our at Gainsight, at least, our values are probably the closest thing to that. So one of the things we always do is look at one of our values called success for all, which is basically we want to drive success for our teammates, for their friends and family, for our customers, for our partners and our investors. And we look at, for a given decision, how does this decision align with the needs of each of those stakeholders? Mm -hmm. And obviously, you you've you've said you're sending birthday notice to you know birthday emails to your uh, your new employees, and you have you do the employee onboarding you know culture code conversations. You're also doing all these podcasts. You have to get a lot of things done. So, what do you do in terms of getting things done? Is there like some sort of yeah uh, yeah? I'm very passionate about productivity. Part of it is I have an incredible team. So I have like the best assistant in the world, the best chief of staff. I have an awesome executive team. So I think. If you're if you're like how do I how would I, you do all this? I, I wasn't able to do all this earlier in my career, but now I have a great team and again, it's you know not a small company anymore. Um, but then I'm very focused on systems, so I have a I'm I'm the annoying inbox zero person. I'm always at inbox zero almost throughout the day, mm -hmm. and then um, I I move everything that's a to do to my task list. So mm -hmm. rather than using my emails and as a task list, I have a separate task list just using Google Tasks. And I'm constantly managing that. And then on that list, I have a list, you know, different sub lists. One is what am I going to get done today? What am I going to get done tomorrow? And then backlog. And then what am I waiting on other people for? Mm -hmm. And then I have a whole routine of how I process those lists once a week to review what should move between different segments, et cetera. One of the other things I do, which I think works really well, is I, I mentioned I email the company once a week. And I always say, like, what's happening? Gain site. Basically, what did I do last week? And then what are my plans for this week? And then some personal stuff what books I'm reading, what's happening in my family. So that's kind of my standard routine. By doing that, I reflect every week. I reflect, what did I get done last week? What am I going to do this week? Is that even the right things I should do? And so it forces me to actually do this. So if there's some way for you to publicly reflect or even privately reflect on where you spent your time and where you plan to spend your time, I think that's very helpful too. Yeah, I've heard multiple guests I had that they have a Sunday routine where they do sit down and just do that uh, reflection. Yeah. Um, which is which I'm hearing to be a common common uh, trend in um, 
high performers. Um, so obviously you talked about like the, the kind of your productivity and you mentioned earlier how you're following the scaling up model. So do you have like some sort of a, like, do you block out time? Um, is that one of your strategies? Well, especially for the corporate uh, objectives, you might have some. Yeah, really that's a good question. Execution. Items yeah, it's see. funny. It's interesting. It's a good question. I, I, a lot of CEOs do block out time. I, I think one thing that I've figured out is I like to work in groups versus solo. Now, there's some things I have to work solo because sometimes you, you need to take a stab at something or write like a strategy document. But I tend to like work better in groups. So what I'll do is schedule time with people to work on something or brainstorm on something. I found that that's a very effective way for me. I think other people like to work solo to start. And I think that's just more personality, getting to know yourself and how you like to work. Mm -hmm. And knowing what you know today, what advice would, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I would say I wouldn't change anything to be totally honest. So I would, I wouldn't, uh, I would just say, uh, enjoy it. It goes fast and that's it because I'm not a big believer in, I kind of think there's just one path and that's it. So I, I, I'm very happy with what I have. And I'm sure that there's individual things I could have wanted to change, but those would change everything. You know, you're the butterfly effect, right? So for me, I don't ever want to change anything because I'm happy with where I am. Awesome. Well, Nick, I certainly appreciate your time and thanks for sharing your wisdom with our audience. Thank you, Samuel. Great, great conversation. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.